going on, guys? Welcome back to another installment of The Bright Side. Here with you, as always, my name is Joshua Bright, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partner in crime, Jim from High and Wide. Jim, how are you, sir? Doing awesome, dude. Excited for another episode. Damn straight. We have so much to talk about. Um, also joining us today from Crossing Broad, Rush Joy. Russ, thank you so much for joining us. First off, second off, how are you? Hey, hey. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. It's a fantastic evening here in dark and gloomy Pennsylvania. Well, you're out there with the, uh, what, what were you rocking when you first came onto the call? Was that a Yeti? Was that a Hydra flask? What were you, oh, it's what were you rocking these, out there? It was from Walmart. It's one of these, these huge violent gentlemen, uh, Hydra flasks for water. Oh, that's, that's really nice. Look at that. That's like the Cali life, you know? Yeah, right? they're sick. Yeah. Reduce plastic as the governor wants us to. That's so nice. <laughs> that's wonderful doing my best to do it. So today we have so much to talk about in Fireland because over the last month, one or two things have happened. I mean, <laughs> we covered the draft, we covered free agency. So now we're in a little bit of a lull into the offseason where not much is going on. We're still looking at some trades. We're still looking at some free agency. I'll start with Russ first. How do you feel now that the, I think that the roster is pretty much constructed? We kind of know what we're getting going into next season. Uh, how do you feel this team really shapes up in the Metro division? I don't think we're actually done. Um, so I, I think that the evaluation part of, of this equation, I think is, is really difficult to do, especially relative to the rest of the division, because I, I just do not believe the flyers are done constructing their team, um, for a, a myriad of reasons, uh, that I'm sure we'll get into at some point. But I I mean, right now, I think that they're in an okay enough position. Um, I don't think they're a top three team in the conference. I think that they're, I don't know, somewhere in like the four to five range, maybe. I don't see the Metro as having passed the team by. I do think that they need to make a few improvements, fill a couple of holes, and it'll solidify them as a top two team, maybe in the division, all depending on a, a couple of things. I think they're okay. I think they could certainly be better, and I don't think they're done. So that's where I'm at right now with the uh, the orange and black. Fair assessment. Jim, how are you feeling about the team going into, what are we at, October? Usually we have, we're have we two weeks into the season now, but how are you feeling in this uh, modified offseason? Yeah, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I would have liked the move. Obviously, the Niskanen retirement hurts. Um, but if, like, you look at this team, like, they're still in pretty good shape. Like, they're, my opinion is they're, they're built as a really good regular season team, right? And I expect them to win a lot of games. I expect them to play just as good as last year. Um, you know, they lost guys like Pitlick and Niskanen. And I don't think that's really talked about enough because those are pretty, like, significant losses as far as, you know, veteran leadership and, and guys who play the game physical and, and gritty. Like, if you look over the Flyers roster, they don't have too many, uh, too many more of those guys. Um, having said that, you know, we are talking about regular season, and I think they're built to win games in the regular season right now. I think it's fair to say they're, they might not be top three in the conference, but I think, I don't know, I, I think they're definitely top two or three in the, the division. So I guess that's fair, top four or five. Um, and I guess we're going to analyze the Metro a little bit. I mean, Pittsburgh, I think, will be back to being Pittsburgh next year. So I expect them to be towards the top of the division. They lost. They were hurt. They they were banged up all last year, right? They get rid of Matt Murray. So Jari's act the the number one goalie this year. They added. I think Mark Jankowski was a really sneaky signing by them uh, for their three C. 
Uh, I like the additions that they made, and they're going to be healthy. So Pittsburgh could be back contending. Washington with Laviolette. They didn't really make any signings in the offseason that scared me, but Laviolette will be a big boost for the for that team, an older team. Maybe they give it one more run. Uh, Carolina's never really talked about, but they don't have a goalie still, so it's kind of like, a, you know, are they in the same spot as last season? Other than those teams, and I guess the Islanders, right? I don't know. <laughs> That's like five teams, so I don't that know. That has to wear off at some point with the Islanders. For the they're Islanders. They're not that good. Yeah, I don't get it. They just have the Flyers number, right? See, like, that's an example of maybe they're not a regular season team, but they get into the playoffs and they can make some noise, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a team that the Flyers still don't match up good against, you know? And they didn't really do anything to address that. And I think a team like the Islanders, the Canadians, if they can get back into the playoffs, the, obviously the Lightning, will uh, the Flyers will have trouble with teams like those in the, in the playoffs once they get there. And I do expect them to be in the playoffs. I think the difference between this Flyers team now and Flyers teams in the past is there's a standard now. They set a standard, right? They, In my opinion, they were going to win the division last year. They were going to make a run to the Stanley Cup, at least the Eastern Conference Finals, no doubt in my mind. And now the standard is set. So anything less, well, it, they're in a tough spot for me now because if they don't advance past the second round, they took a step back, you know, and there's an expectation that they set. Oh, boy. Well, right? I, oh. I think it's good, oh I think it's good that you guys think we're uh, top two in the division because the Atlantic division got a lot better. A lot of those bottom feeding teams are now going to be in contention for those three or four spots. And that means the Metro isn't having every wild card spot. So we better be one of those top teams in the division. Now, in order for this team to be top, top one, top two in this division, the two spots I'm really seeing that – after the Niskanen retirement, we're, we're still left pretty unfilled is the 3C and the top 4D. Now, once the Myers extension gets done, this team doesn't really have any cap space unless you're shipping out a Shangasa spare. So do you see those as in-house fixes or do you see those as trade adjustments? Ross, I'll go to you first. Hey, better hope that you can get at least one of them uh, via internal promotion. Um, you can have a really hard time. I know. I know that this is supposed to be the bright side of things, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Nolan Patrick going out and, and playing some scrimmages out in Brandon doesn't exactly, um, you know, fill my heart with, with glee and joy. I know that there were a lot of people who got really excited and were sharing the clips, and it was like they got a new puppy on Christmas. But a scrimmage uh, against a bunch of, you know, beer leaguers is not the same thing as going out and playing against NHL competition. Um I'm still also not sure, by the way, that he got clearance before he went out and participated in the scrimmage. When I asked Chuck Fletcher about that, the body language really changed. Um, I, I almost wonder if it was a, uh, a go out and apologize later rather than get shut down in the, uh, the planning stage of going out and participating. I digress. I hope that for the 3C, if Nolan Patrick's able to return to some kind of form and is able to you know, rekindle some of the magic that led to him being the number two overall pick in the draft. Well, then that's a heck of a candidate. And he's a guy that's going to cost you under 900 K this year. It's not a bad deal by any stretch. Um, it wasn't some master class in GMing from Chuck Fletcher. It was a league mandated, uh, you know, raise for the kid based on where he's at in his career. Um, I think that top four D is a real issue. And, I think you guys are right that the Niskanen retirement hasn't been talked enough about. 
And if the idea here is to have Phil Myers, which it seems like conventional wisdom is Phil Myers and Ivan Provorov to start the season on the top pair, that to me is not a recipe for success. Uh, now, it was a small sample size last year, but uh, Ivan Provorov's worst stats with any fellow defenseman were with Phil Myers. I think it was only a 75-minute uh, overall swath during the regular season that you could look at, and that by no means is going to be you know, a, an indicator of what's to come. But there are going to have to be a lot of steps taken forward by Phil Myers in order to kind of earn that top pair status. And I think that unless the Flyers are able to go out and get a veteran via a good old-fashioned hockey trade, as Chuck Fletcher's talked about uh, quite a few times since the season ended, I think you need to put somebody uh, either with Ivan Provorov or have somebody that you could theoretically rotate in with him onto that top pairing because I'm more fearful, even though Provorov has taken has taken steps forward, I worry that saddling him with a young defenseman who could theoretically go through a, a little bit of a, a lack of confidence, a, a stretch like we saw in the Islanders series, if you're going to start straddling your defenseman who plays the most minutes on the team, who's a, an all-situations guy, who really does kind of carry the defensive load for this team, if you're now going to saddle him with also bringing along Junior next to him, that might not work well. And you might end up seeing a regression closer to the 2018-19 Ivan Provorov if that burden is too much to bear. So I think it's really critical for this team that they get another veteran defenseman. And Eric Gustafson's not that guy. To me, he's a $1.5 million lower cap hit Shane Goss to spare. The problem, I think, right now is if you're going to get a guy via a good old-fashioned hockey trade, you're going to have to send salary out. And with a flat cap year and with not knowing what the following season's cap is going to look like, I don't know how many teams are lining up for sixth or seventh defenseman on the Flyers, Shane Goss to spare at $4.5 million against the cap. But we love the Flyers, and that's the bright side. All right. <laughs> I, I think you pretty you much hit the nail on the head with all that, especially regarding Gossip's Bear. And on past shows on HW, we, that's what we've been trying to do is figure out the value of Ghost. Because I, what I think people forget is the flat cap affects guys like him, you know, who didn't really have a ton of value to begin with. Like maybe, maybe before the flat cap came around – the Flyers could have, I don't know, maybe they could have shocked some people and got a second or a third or somehow, magically. I didn't, I never thought they could get a pick that high, but there are people out there who are like, oh, no, if you don't get a second or third for Ghost, it's a it's a bad trade. I always thought, dude, just, just moving that 4.5 off the books is a win. So if you can move Ghost for a three or a four, I think you do it just so you have the cap. Um, now with the flat cap here, it devalues him even more because who's going to want to take on – you know, a potential project and pay him 4.5 million for not just one year, but for three, you know, um, I think they're like a year late with trying to move ghost. In my opinion, I know there are reports that come out that said, uh, he's been battling injuries the last couple of years or so, but I, I think if you're the flyers, you have to be willing, you have to be ready to take a loss on, on ghost almost, or it, and Ross, maybe you can tell us, it looks like maybe they're going to, I don't know. Are they going to try Ghost out? You know, there's some some people out there are, are wondering, could we see Ghost and Provorov top pairing again? I, no. I would cry if no, I saw that. I really not. would. There's no way. There's there's practically no chance. Somebody would have to have a lobotomy 
on the coaching staff to, <laughs> to think that's a good idea. Just because it worked over a stretch a couple of years ago doesn't mean that it's going to net positive results now. Um, where do where do I even go with this? So there was a situation like this with another Philly team a few years ago when the Sixers like stocked up at center and they wasted either Jaleel Okafor or Nerlens Noel. They could have theoretically gotten a, a high enough pick for for one of them, and then they opted not to. They held on to them. That's Colangelo because he's an idiot. But they they held on to these guys until their value had depreciated to a point where you got practically nothing back. You got a fake first round pick back, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where this team is at right now. I think with Shane Goss's bear. Um, I don't think that it was ever going to just be a ghost for a pick deal though. Like I think that from this front office's thought or value of, of what Shane Gossespierre is. And I think it's also kind of critical that we also point out that the value that fans place on Ghost or even those of us who are realistic and say, you know, he's probably just a change of scenery guy. He's not garbage, right? Like he's he does have some talent. I think it's just not going to work here for a, a ton of different reasons. If you're Chuck Fletcher, like I, I don't see a scenario where you move on from this guy without getting a player back. Like a second or third round pick doesn't really do much to help you if you don't have another move that you're planning on. Um, and and to me, I think the kind of team that will end up going for a Shane Goss the reason that you didn't see a move happen yet is because Fletcher has mentioned a bunch of times about those teams that are currently over the cap, that are 10% over the cap and are going to have to shed salary. And there are going to be teams that are on the flip side that have to reach the salary floor. And so there are certainly teams out there that once the season becomes a realistic thing, once maybe January is starting to kind of come into view and the, the league decides if they're going to start in a bubble or not, uh, some of these teams are going to realize, you know, we have to we have to reach the, the cap floor and Shane Gossespierre isn't a bad option. And I think at that point, maybe there's a team that has a, a defenseman that's got two years left on a deal at like, let's say, three, three and a half million. And maybe he's not great. But it's enough where the, you know, the other team says, all right, well, this will help us get closer to the floor. And we're also not, you know, adverse to getting rid of a more defensive minded defenseman to try to get this high upside guy who's three years removed from a 63 point season. See, that's positive. 63 point season. A lot of people go back to that. So well, now they got two of these guys. So you'd even they more do. positivity. <laughs> they do. How great is that? Maybe they should put them together. Actually, oh you know God. what? I'm maybe clamoring they, for that. Maybe they should convert Gustafson and Shane Gossespierre to wingers, and then they can play them <laughs> on the fourth line with Nolan Patrick. How about that? No, and okay. they're set. We don't even need defense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just, hey, Chuck Fletcher in that in that uh, interview he did made it clear that Shane Gossespierre had the best shot on the team. So fuck it, be a winger. Why not? Like he's obviously not good enough in his own zone. That's the issue. So playing with Coots, playing with Farabee, playing with guys who know how to play in their own zone. I, I'm at a loss for words because he seemed like in that press conference, he was pretty cool with trying both of those guys out. Now, I don't know how much of that is actually what Chuck thinks and how much of that is telling other teams that we believe in these guys just for complete, you know, he's not going to sell, sell easy on these guys. Now it's that one for, yeah, from our perspective, are we comfortable with ghost and Gus both starting on the, on the flyers team come what January 1st is the projection. Uh, if you want to win games like seven to six, maybe. <laughs> uh, do you have enough scoring to get you the seven? I, I don't know, James. Like, we, what do you think? Because uh, 
the idea of of rolling these two guys out, I think the only way that you can do it is if you're if you're going to start with seven defensemen and you're going to try a bunch of different looks for the first 10 games to try to figure out what what look you like the best. How do you best salvage the um, I don't want to say the reanimated corpse of Justin Braun, but let's be honest, the guy's not exactly fleet of foot at this point in his career. I like Justin Braun. He's a good guy. Uh, But I, I don't know. Uh, the idea of like legitimately going into a game with both ghosts and, and Gus in the lineup, that's not scaring an opposing team. An opposing team is going to look at that and lick their chops. Um, yeah, I, I really haven't watched much of Gustafson play. So, uh, I mean, all we know is he scored 60 points a couple years ago, right? Um, he, what I did see, though, just checking out his stats, he seems to put up points no matter where he plays in whatever league for whatever team. So I found that a little bit interesting. I'm intrigued to see what he's going to do for the Flyers on a one-year contract, you know, because you figure if he wants to get you – know, he's got an opportunity to, to get another uh, decent deal if he plays well this year. He's 28 years old. Uh, I don't know how I feel about him playing in the top four for the Flyers, which – you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but based off one of Chuck Fletcher's last press conferences, it sounded like they're comfortable playing him on the right side. And then I'm even thinking, like, do I want Travis Sanheim playing with this guy? You know, ideally, what I what I wanted to see is kind of what they did with Niskanen and Braun last year. You know, I think Meyer started out on that third pairing and kind of worked his way up past Braun. Braun moved down to the third pairing. The Niskanen thing kind of messed things up. If they could find a guy, ideally, like Russ, you said, if they can find a guy on two years for three, 3.5, maybe a guy that can, they can pair up with Provorov for a decent chunk of the season, but also a guy that, you know, Myers has the ability to pass at some point, you know, I think that would be the ideal find, which is exactly what, excuse me, what Niskanen was, you know, he was going to start out, I assume, with Provorov on the top pairing again, and, and Myers would have the opportunity to pass him over the course of the season and and then Niskanen ends up becoming a free agent now it's like they have all these pieces they have a bunch of squares and they have a bunch of round holes that that they can't fit these squares in. you know a bunch of left-handed defensemen left-handed shot defensemen and what they really need is a top four right-handed pairing defenseman so I don't know I really don't know what they're going to do and then all the talk that we hear is it's going to be for Patrick Lyon and he's like well He'd be nice to have, really. Like, I'm all for trading for Patrick Laine, but he's not really what they need, though, you know? So I don't know what they're going to do, man. I don't know. I, this was The signing was baffling to me. I hated the Gustafson signing at first. Then I thought about him, like, well, this means Ghost is definitely gone, right? And a week later, he's still here, so I don't know. Well, uh, there are, I guess there are a few ways to look at it. Uh, I think... The line A thing isn't dead yet. That's that's I think the the biggest takeaway right now at this point in the offseason is that the Patrick Line sweepstakes, uh, while they've cooled off a bit, are not done, they're not over. Because Winnipeg's in a no win situation, right? So play out the scenario if you're Winnipeg. You've got this guy who theoretically could be a forty plus goal scorer who's still ridiculously young and has already potted plenty of goals over the course of his young career. He's a guy who's going to cost you at least $9 million over probably, what, six or seven seasons, in Mm -hmm. theory. He's a restricted free agent after this year. Now, GMs are kind of gutless in the league because they're 
more or less collude. But like, let's just say for a second that Patrick Laine hits hits restricted free agency, and some GM says, you know what, that's exactly the kind of guy we need. And now all of a sudden, an offer sheet is floated out. Are we really to believe that Winnipeg is going to want to pay nine plus million dollars a year for Patrick Laine? Mm-hmm. No, they're not going to want to. So then, if you're that GM, do you, if you're Chevy, do you really want to sit back and say, all right, I'll take the picks? That certainly doesn't help your job security, right? That doesn't give you anything that helps you in the immediate future. So then what's your what's your your other option? You try to get the best deal you can right now, which is when Line's value is at its highest. Because whatever team acquires him is going to have him for the entirety of the season. You could play the really dumb game, which is we're going to hang on to him and wait for a team to get desperate at the deadline, which I think is like pretty much organizational suicide at that point. Because at that point, everybody's going to call your bluff. It's like, well, okay, I, I'm i either going to give you, you know, 50 cents on the dollar at the deadline, or I'll theoretically offer sheet him in the offseason. Or you try to make the deal now. You try to make the deal before the, uh, the season starts. And for me, I think the Flyers still have the best set of assets out of any team that had been mentioned in those sweepstakes. And... The issue that I think Flyers fans especially are going to have to kind of come to grips with is this isn't just like if if the Line deal happens, I don't think it'll just be for Line. And if the Flyers execute a trade, it's not going to be for like a bunch of spare parts like that deal is not going to be Shane Gossespierre, Nolan Patrick, Morgan Frost and like a first round pick. That's not Patrick Line that none of that is on the surface really worth much. Shane Gossespierre is a guy that you're trying to cast off at four and a half million dollars, a guy who is back and forth between being your sixth and seventh defenseman last year. Nolan Patrick's got a migraine disorder that very likely could be related to his concussions. Nobody seems to know, wink, wink. But every once in a while, you know, during a media availability, there's a, well, you know, we don't know. And when we, we had Keith Primo over on Snow the Goalie a few weeks ago, and he said, you know, if they can't figure out what's wrong with the kid, he needs to retire and he needs to get himself set for his life because his life is more important. If it turns out that it's, you know, from concussions and they can identify that, he's like, well, then you take the time away and you can get better. Like oddly enough, post-concussion in the in the uh, the mind of Keith Primo is less of a big deal in terms of recovering than just not knowing what's causing this migraine disorder. Mm-hmm. So is Nolan Patrick really that attractive of a piece? Probably not. Um, and then Morgan Frost, you know, Morgan Frost is a a really solid player. He's got great vision. In theory, he could be your best playmaker. He could develop into your best playmaker since Claude Giroux. Is that a guarantee? No. And then you've got picks. So like that deal had been floated out. And I know like at the time people were like, well, that's too much to give up for Patrick Line. How many 40 goal scorers are there in the league? How many guys with 50 goal ceilings that are as young as he is that have played as many seasons in the NHL already exist? And what's it going to cost you? And here's the answer. It's going to cost you at least one of the untouchables that you have set in your heart and your mind. And so if that's a guy that you really want to go after, which I think instantly makes them a better team, it might not be a need, but over the course of like the next five or six years, having a reliable sniper on your team, very helpful. Um, It's going to cost you an untouchable. It might actually cost you more than that. 
And you have to make the the decision if you're Chuck Fletcher, is that something that you're willing to do? And if so, how do you fill the holes that you're going to create by making such a deal? Yeah, it's been floated around there a lot that Winnipeg has been unwavering in their uh, their, their their asking price for Patrick Laine. And a lot of people have theorized that there's Travis Sanheim, that there's Travis Konechny. And it's starting to seem like it's both right now that Chevy's asking for. And I think that's why you're not seeing a deal being done. But now, going back to what you said, does Chevy does Chevy get a little desperate when we get closer to the season to unload line A? Or is he actually you think he's actually going to try and ride this out and sell him off at the deadline? Depends on if he's bold or he's stupid. Right. <laughs> because once the season starts, his negotiating leverage drops dramatically because let's say the Flyers have the best set of assets. Right. Say the season starts in a bubble. And after 15 games, the Flyers are like kind of a fringe playoff team. They haven't had the greatest start. Am I to believe that in a flat cap year where teams are not going to generate the gate revenue that's the lifeblood of their organizations, that Dave Scott, who's been, from what I've gathered, pretty removed from the situation at this point, am I to believe that he's going to want to open up the Comcast Spectacore checkbook for Patrick Laine? No, not at that point. Now, you could probably sell that idea in the offseason, and if the team has a solid run to start, and then things start to open up, the world starts to kind of go back to some semblance of normal, a vaccine is distributed, there's a solid enough efficiency rate of it, and by like March, fans are kind of allowed back into arenas, and you can start to generate that revenue again, well, then I think it's an easier sell. I can't imagine trying to make that sell when the season, if the season, but kind of when the season starts in a bubble. I just don't see it. I think it's an easier pitch to an owner right now than it would be mid-January. It's just it's just my thought. I think there's some revenue to be seen in a, a Patrick Line trade from a, a jersey sale perspective. I think that's one that's one uh, selling point you can give to uh, you know bring in a Line now. I think he'd be the most purchased jersey if if a deal were to go down. Yeah, but that's not. I mean, that's that gets you some. But to give you perspective on like how much a team loses, the Flyers lose at least a million dollars per game that isn't being played at Wells Fargo Center with a packed house. I mean, this is this is a big reason why Ron Hextall was fired, was that the team wasn't good, that the Comcast overlords were upset that not only were they losing out on gate revenue, but they were losing out on concessions and parking, which were ancillary costs that, you know, the typical consumer doesn't really think about how important that is to an organization. But like every time you go and buy your overpriced ticket to go in and watch this team. You're getting hit up for parking, which means you're going to go into the game and obviously you're probably going to buy something at the concession stand. If you take kids with you, God knows you're going to go three, four, five times in the course of a game. You might even want to go get Junior his own little teddy bear. You might want to get your little girl, uh, I don't know, like a, a nice jersey or something like that. And pretty soon, yeah, then all that money, all of those ancillary costs, those are the things that kind of help to pay for things. I mean – I'm like very much committed to the idea that they're starting in a bubble next year. And I think it's going to be, I would not be surprised if a quarter of the season were played in a bubble. That's assuming the NHLPA approves it, which I don't know if they will. Um, it's just a ton of revenue to not have. 
And jersey sales are like part of that. So I'm not meaning to downplay that. But in the grand scheme of things, like that's not the thing. That's not the biggest thing for the team in terms of of driving real revenue for the team. It's nice. And certainly people would be much more excited to buy Patrick Line jerseys than they will Eric Gustafson. Um, or, you know, somebody's going to want to go out and get like, I don't know, another Claude Giroux jersey. Like if these retro, these reverse retro things that were floated out there, like, oh, my God. All right, sure. Yeah. You can go, you know, go get your 28 again. But like, I don't know if that's going to move the needle either, you know, so. They're going to lose money on this. That, that's jerseys. the next thing I want to take it into. How are we feeling about them retro jerseys? Jim, you're pretty vocal. About <laughs> I don't know why they just can't do what we asked for. Those black jerseys uh, that everybody wants, like just do them. But no, they they do the design, but they change up all the colors, and it looks like uh, like a Walmart jersey or something. I don't know. I, I'm not crazy for it, but I also didn't like the uh, what was the outdoor game? Uh, the, winter, the pump. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. It looked like they were wearing pumpkins. I didn't like them at you first. You don't like the pumpkins? Okay. I actually really like them now, though. Like, yeah. they're, that's a wearable jersey. It goes with a lot of stuff. You can wear it with jeans, and you look good. These, I don't know if I can wear these jerseys. I don't know if it's the white on the sleeve or what. Like, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm not this crazy. This is like trying that. to, like, look back after the fact and talk yourself back into, like, rationalizing why you dated a girl that you really weren't that big of a fan of. You know, and you're like, well, she was kind of pretty. Right. You know, when she, you know when I didn't wear my glasses or something. And then it helped me overlook all of the awful things about her personality and how she made me feel, you know, um, I think you're right though. The, the jerseys that I think everybody wants, like I, I have a Peter Forsberg Jersey. That's exactly what I want. It's that black chested, yeah. right. With the, with the white over the top and then the elbow down is black. It's right there. It's right, right there for the taking. It's what the people want. That's why Comcast won't give it to you. But that, like, <laughs> that's what I said hashtag, too. Hashtag, hashtag Comcast cares. But seriously, it's right there for you. You don't have to overthink this. Just give the people what they want. And even if there's like some curmudgeon who sits on Twitter and says, "Yeah, well, why did the Flyers win when they wore those black jerseys?" Like, listen, dude, they haven't won since the freaking 70s. All right, we're talking 15 years before, 15 years before I was born. I don't care either. I don't care what jersey you want to do. I really don't. I don't know if the Flyers are going to win anytime soon. Give me at least one that I like. All right? Yeah. The Patrick Line version of the old Forsberg jersey, and we'll call it, you know, we'll call it even. Right? <laughs> but no. Let's do these reverse retros. They, You know what they look like? I started doing a little bit of digging because I wrote this up on Crossing Broad, and I was like, all right, these look kind of familiar. They're a cross between the Pee Wee Flyers jerseys that I think the team wore in in like a tournament in Quebec. And it's like a cross between that and one of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms jerseys. But the way that the leak looked made them look like they were made of dry fit material. Right. So. I don't know. Can you imagine seeing hockey hockey players wearing like a dry fit jersey it would be almost as jarring as like when the nba put out those short sleeve jerseys and like lebron james was gonna like hulk up and rip through all the seams i feel like that's what it you know can you imagine josh you just you said you were at the gym before like can you imagine somebody getting on on a treadmill wearing like a a a king's jersey with the dry fit like, imagine how goofy that would look. I mean, I, I live in I live in Orange County, California, and people don't really care about like working out. They care about what they're wearing when they work out. So, <laughs> just, there's some things to see. Well, so what's the uh, goofiest thing you've seen somebody wear to a gym? Nothing. 
I've seen like they 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 will do whatever they can to make sure that every part of their skin is visible and they will wear the least amount of clothing. I've seen someone come in in a king a like a um, a medieval king robe but a nightgown over it. So he had a nightgown and then a robe hanging down the back with his sunglasses on and these big Bose earphones and didn't do a single squat while he was on the machine, just wanted to sit there on his phone and just fascinating. Like, and, and that's almost a daily occurrence because people in California are, are what they are. I don't want to disparage it too much, but it, it's another country over on this side of the, of the coast. Dude, I wish it, I had fun. the balls to walk into a gym in a, in a king's robe and sunglasses. Are you kidding me? That's, That's a level of ego you'll never be able to reach. <laughs> I'll never be at that I want to line that guy up with uh, – I have the guy that I call the yeller. I, like, I call him old yeller. He's not old, but like he yells a lot. It's this guy who like shows up to the gym every day. He's got the American bandana that he wears around the head. And then he wears what looks like a military like – a, like a camo, but like military-issued um, like a weight vest, right? And so this guy like gets on the Stairmaster. Now, I haven't seen him since – since covid i assume he's alive but this guy would get on the stairmaster next to an old lady and he would like yell at himself like mm-hmm. i would like to keep my headphones up pretty loud because i just don't like to listen to everybody else running on treadmills and i'd see this dude and i'd hear him yell and one day he gets on the stairmaster next to this like really nice old lady and he's sweating everywhere and you know you're supposed to wipe down the machines and this dude's just like trucking it and his sweat hits the old lady in the face. And at first I'm like, oh, she, this poor lady. Like, she, I'm like getting ready to get off. Like, I'm going to go get a wet thing and like hand it to her and say, like, I'm so sorry that happened. She stops what she's doing, looks at him. And in like the nicest way ever was like, you need to change what you're doing. And yelling <laughs> guy looks over at old lady. We're going to call her Bertha. He looks at Bertha. The fear of God strikes this man in the face. He apologizes, gets down, gets the wipes, wipes down everything, gets her like a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, this is a great moment. He's not going to be a tool anymore. He gets off the Stairmaster, gets on the treadmill next to me, starts screaming at the top of his lungs about Bertha. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? So I want to get these guys together because I think that the weighted vest guy and the medieval robe, like, I, I love this. I think he'd, he'd fit in real well out in this, this, this psychotic state that I'm in. Give them a podcast. <laughs> Could you imagine? Their numbers are going to be ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. All right. So, now that I've derailed your show. <laughs> no, I, wanted, I wanted to kind of bring it back real quick because we were talking about the whole Lion A thing. And we, we mentioned Sandheim as a name. We just mentioned them. I got to tell you, when they went and signed Gustafson – you know, you start to think of all avenues and whatnot, and you hear Sandheim's name. Uh, Winnipeg's got to have either Sandheim, Myers, TK, whoever. And I'm like, I just wonder if Gustafson was potentially signed to replace Sandheim in the lineup because the, the money's similar. I would sure S- fucking hope not, Chuck. Sandheim's due for a raise. First of all, and I want to hear your guys' opinions on Sandheim. Not really impressed with him. He's 24 years old. He's shown small flashes of this guy could be pretty good. But otherwise, when I think of Travis Sanheim, and maybe it's the playoffs that leave a bad taste in my mouth, I'm underwhelmed with Travis Sanheim. Now, that doesn't mean, like I said, he's only 24. Uh, I get that defensemen usually hit their uh, stride a little bit later in their career. 
and it would suck to replace Sanheim with Gustafson, but I I think I would be okay moving Sanheim for Line A. You know, having said that, it would leave you know huge holes in the Flyers' defense corps, a corps that we used to say was you know this is a pretty deep corps top to bottom and now it's like well they're missing a lot of pieces they lost niskin and now they lose sandheim it's like how do you replace that what would you what would you think if sandheim went the other way and what are your guys opinions on travis sandheim um i think I, i'm i'd be fine moving sandheim but i'd be really bummed out if i found out gustafson was a long-term replacement for sandheim i think if i'm not trying to win the stanley cup next year i'm cool with, with uh, gus being a stopgap for one of York or Zamola to finally take that spot because neither of those kids are going to be ready to fill a top four role next year. But uh, yeah, I'm moving Sanheim in a line A deal. That's a huge hole you're leaving. But if if that trade's going down, I'm hoping for a defenseman coming back from Winnipeg. I'm hoping, you know, add for for another piece because there's nothing about this defense sans Sanheim that makes me comfortable that this team could compete, you know, past the first round of the playoffs. Russ, what do you think? Um, I would say that if you're Winnipeg, your request for defenseman goes probably Provorov, Myers, York, and then Sanheim. Um, I don't, I, mm, teams are more interested in Phil Myers than they are Travis Sanheim. As they should be. And I think that. The idea that Gustafson was hired or was was signed to replace Sanheim long term is insane. That's not what that is. So you can put that fear to rest. There's no way. He, Gustafson was signed to be a stopgap until the team could kind of take a, a better assessment. I think they really do want to see what Zamula has. I think that that of of any young defenseman, he'll be one that's going to get a, a legitimate look. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to start the season with the Flyers. It's entirely possible that you see him as like a, a mid-season call-up, maybe earlier. Um, but I, I think that Vigneault was impressed enough. He mentioned Zamola a few times. When questions came up about Zamola, he didn't just shrug them off like he did with like Morgan Frost, for example. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, in a line ideal, do you trade Sanheim? You do, and you, you don't really think twice about it. I mean, I like Sanheim a lot. Like, by the way... When Provorov was, you know, struggling in 1819, Travis Sanheim was really good. I think, like, I think Travis Sanheim, honestly, was their best defenseman that year. I think he was one of their... Especially towards the end of the year. He was one of their steadier defensemen, and you saw a lot of upside. I don't see the team moving on from him. I mean, it, it would take a lot. It would take a line A kind of deal. That said, I don't think that's – well, from what I know, that's not what Winnipeg asked for. So I don't – I mean, unless unless the request changes by a lot, I don't think Sandheim's going to be the guy to move. Um, but I think he's valuable. I mean, I think that you're – I think that the sour taste left in your mouth in the playoffs is clouding your judgment on that one a little bit. Because what we did see for extended stretches of the season – were that Sanheim and Myers pairing were rock, rock solid. Like when you look at the ceiling that those two had, if you, uh, I, I'll make people mad. If you told me that like Ivan Provorov had to be moved in a deal for a potential 40, 50 goal score straight up, I don't want to make that deal, 
But I'm also, like I said before, I'm not convinced that unless you have somebody who's steady next to him like Niskanen was, I'm not positive that you're going to get that number one defenseman form from him again. I could theoretically be talked into Provorov going for Line A, but it would have to be Line A with somebody else. Because a, a top defenseman, I think, is is much more valuable in this league right now at, at the deal that Provorov's at than what Line A would be. And I think that in theory, you could say that within the next year and a half, Sanheim and Myers could be a top pair for an NHL team. But that's also do you know it's also taking a, a big leap of faith. Mm-hmm. I think Sanheim's good, and I think Myers are is good. I don't want to move them unless it's for somebody that is a higher ceiling forward, if that makes sense. No, I understand your point there. And it's not – I'm not in a rush to move Sanheim because I think that they – like he's a core part of the team with Myers, Provorov. Like those are the three guys that they're going to protect, right? So I'm not in what a did, rush. What did Sanheim do that, that made you so upset, that made you sour on him so much? Outside of the Islanders series. The Islanders series was an absolute, you know, abject failure. Outside yeah. of that, like, what is it about Travis Sanheim that you you don't feel fantastic about? So I, it's not that he's soft. I'm not calling him soft, but there's something about him where I just don't see um, like an alpha type presence. Or he always, at least to me, he. I just try to read body language, right? Because I'm not around players like you are. I I don't. I try to read into what players say. You know, because that's all we can do. And he just doesn't come off as like an alpha type player or a very confident player to me. And then when I see it on the ice, it I don't, I don't know if he's second guessing himself or maybe it's playing with another guy like Myers. But it doesn't look like he's entirely confident all the time. And it, it kind of bugs me a little bit about Sanheim. And, and maybe it is also the playoffs that left a sour taste because I, I feel a similar way to Travis Konechny. Um, but you're right. I mean, uh, in 18-19, Sanheim looked great. Uh, I would like to see him play on the power play more. I'm wondering why he's not on the power play more because personally, I think he'd be better suited to run a power play than Ivan Provorov. But what's the reason that we're not seeing it? There's a reason why we're not seeing it, and it's kind of it's it's bugging me. So on past shows, I'm kind of like, okay, it's time to take time to take the training wheels off these guys. You know, give him 20 minutes a night. Let him play on the power play. Let's see if he can if he can run it, if he can handle it. And I'm like, well, if we're not seeing it, there's a reason. What's the reason? So I don't know. I guess that's why I question Sanheim a little bit is because I don't think that he's a confident player. Maybe that sounds dumb. I don't know. Josh, I don't know if I could say on the show because at this point he's now besmirched the name of Travis Sanheim and Travis Konechny, <laughs> which I'm pretty sure makes him a Travisist, which I I just can't support that. Uh <laughs> We could talk Travis Konechny too. Yeah. I could talk about him. I know it's the bright side. It won't. It won't be too bright talking about Konechny. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't think Sanheim's soft. I think that he's a, he's a young player that, that had his worst stretch as a flyer in their most important series. Yeah. But in fairness, a lot of guys on this team had their worst stretch of the season against the Islanders. So it wasn't as if he was the only one who looked like that, right? Not true. So there's your bright, like there's your bright side is I, he's certainly not as bad as he was in that Islanders series. I think that like when you think of the importance of advancing further in the playoffs because you want guys to have experience, 
This is one of those times where it's a negative experience for Travis Sanheim, but it's a learning experience. And he's got the internal motor and like the intrinsic motivation to make sure that he goes out and doesn't let that happen again. So like that's that's a good thing. That was a good experience for him to have, especially because, look, if if they're going to make a, an extended playoff run next season, he's going to have to play a big part. And so is Phil Myers and getting some of those, you know, rough playoff series out of the way and and learning from that. You know, you put on your big boy pants and you go back to work. That's what I want to see, because we're now in what? Like his four. It's going to be his fourth. Um, shit, I'm not on the flyers here. It's going to be his fourth or fifth season this year coming up. Travis Sanheim? Yeah. Four sounds right. Is it four? Uh, okay, so it'll be his technically his third full season. Yeah. He played 49 games as a rookie. Yeah. So we'll say we'll call it his fourth. I mean, I, I guess like three years is really nothing, and he's—I guess he's produced for a, a player of his age. But but I want to see it. Like I'm, for, I think I guess it's maybe like a little bit of impatience from me because for so long all we heard was kids, 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 and now they're here, and it's like okay, dude, like you've been in the league three years, it's gonna be your fourth year. I want to see you put up 40 points. I want to see you on the power play. I want to see you take over a shift, right? Because that, I don't know. You're like right. To, you you are right to want him on the power play, and that's the thing that I've kind of been clamoring for, especially over like the last year. It's interesting that he hasn't gotten more power play time. And and by the way, big reason that Eric Gustafson signed with the Flyers is because he expects to have significant power play time. That was a thing that I asked him and got cherry picked by ESPN and their article about him. Thanks mm-hmm. ESPN. Thanks for the shout out. Um, but no, like he signed because he wanted power play time. So. Unless you're going to move Ivan Provorov off. And again, if the idea is start the season with, with him and Phil Myers on the top pair, then maybe that's where you see the team try to get away from Provorov having to carry so much of the load. Maybe he's not the quarterback on the top power play. Maybe that goes to Gustafson, and maybe you see Sanheim on, on PP2. Like, I don't, I don't know necessarily. I do think that you're right to want to see more of Travis Sanheim on the power play. I think people that are like, you know, ghost fans should have wanted to see more ghosts on the power play when he was going to play because at five on five, like, I don't know, not really getting much. So, like, if you're going to play a guy, like, play him to his strengths. Right. Right. So I, I'm hoping that we're going to see an expanded, you know, role for Travis Sanheim, at least on the power play in the upcoming season. It's just a matter of. You don't have that many choices. It's not like you've got three power play units that you're going to roll out, right? So I I don't know. It's, I think it's going to be a hard thing to sell to get Ivan Provorov off that top power play for the sake of, of getting Sanheim on it. Maybe it'll happen. I don't know. Yeah, James, if you want to see Travis Sanheim with a 40-point season, I think your best bet is to find a way to get Sergei Bobrovsky back in the Metro division because I think he has a knack for getting two goals against him. <laughs> he does, yeah. on it three times in his career. Um, there was a time I want to say it was two years ago on the first power play that I believe they went with two defensemen. I think it was Provi and Sanheim on the right circle. It's probably a bad idea, and I'm probably an idiot for even suggesting it. But if if Ghost has the best shot and he's somehow in this lineup, I would like to see him not power playing the power play, or uh, quarterback in the power play because we've seen so many odd man rushes go the other way when he's the last line of defense. So 
if if you want Ghost to be in your lineup and you want him to be on the power play, I think he should be paired with another defenseman. I think they did that decently at times with the second power play unit using two defensemen. You saw Niskanen out there a lot too. Um, yeah, I think Sanheim is going to be a step for the second power play. I think you want you want to see more out of him. I don't don't believe they're going to ever take Provorov off that top power play. So you have a lot of options on that second power play because uh, if Ghost is in this lineup and Gus is in this lineup and Sanheim is on this lineup, I don't see how they sit two of the more offensive defensemen for a Travis Sanheim unless he's taking huge strides offensively. Does that bother you guys a little bit, though? Like, what are we waiting for with Sanheim, or can he just not do it? I think he can do it. Well, like, like why? Like, I don't know. It just the moves that they make lead me to believe that maybe they're not confident Sanheim can run a power play. And then, you know, we hear a lot like, uh, if you want to beat this Flyers deal, all you got to do is pressure them. Like, that's what the Islanders did. That's how the Islanders pretty much beat the Flyers. They they pressured them in their own zone. They beat them with the forecheck, and guys like Sanheim coughed the puck up. That bothers me a little bit with Sanheim. I I feel like that's the book on him a little bit. If you want him to turn the puck over, pressure him because he will. And it's like, well, when are you going to outgrow that? And if I'm wrong, feel free to tell me that I'm wrong. I just think, like, dude, you're going to be 25 next year. That's not young anymore. Like, you're not really a kid. Like, you're a vet in the league four years. Like, let's go. Like, put some points up. I don't know. Maybe I expect too much. But if he's if he's one of the top three protected D that, you know, maybe guys don't want to trade for a line because of the potential of Sandheim, it's like, well, I want to see it, dude. I don't want to wait anymore. I've been hearing about this kid for six years. Let's go. But, you know, that's the whole – that's just my opinion on Sandheim. So you want to blast Travis Konechny into the sun, huh? Yes. Oh, my God. First, 22 games. How is that a small sample size? Because if you play 22 games in a regular season, you score one goal, you're getting trashed, right? So to score zero – what was it, 16 games this year and you didn't score a goal? And you didn't hear one complaint about you. like his biggest moment was you know making that that face right everybody ha- everybody knows the gif now right yeah and it's like dude you don't drop the gloves I, tell me why Travis Sandheim's a gritty player because I I don't see him laying guys out do you guys well, so me? yeah and it's like anybody can run their mouth like that's cool it's funny but if you're not dropping the gloves and you're not scoring goals it's like sorry dude like you're just annoying like you know. I think, I think that's the charm of Konechny is he's annoying, but he's not going to drop the gloves with you. And yeah. if I'm on the ice against him, the biggest annoyance is that this kid's going to run around. He's going to call my players fucking nerds. And at the end of the day, when I want to beat the fuck out of him, he's going to skate away. I, that's what I like about Konechny. And recency bias aside, because his playoffs were frustrating, he was the team's best scorer. And I think he's going to continue to take strides that way. I, it's, it's hard for a fan base like Philadelphia, who's known for their patience, to uh, to sour on a guy just to sour on a guy so quickly, but he's only gonna get better. I mean, if you're moving, there's there there was a lot of talk for Konechny for Lonnie, which I don't think is something that, that would ever happen. Is uh, <laughs> um, it, it's I'm sure it was talked about, but it, it doesn't really I don't know. But in in Travis Konechny's case, you're the Flyers are good on wing, but he's kind of the bar for all the young guys we have coming up. That's what you hope they become is a Travis Konechny and five on five. I think he gives you a little more than, than Patrick Line would give you unless Line is performing to the top visibility, which I'm sure he will at some point. 
And, and line A is obviously going to fix your power play. But I think you're getting a lot out of Travis Konechny. He's already kind of married himself to the fan base. You know, they would they would ride in the streets if he's traded. And with a little confidence, I think he's a guy who could put up 30 goals. What do you think, Ross? Am I going too crazy here on TK? No. I think that it's probably worth noting that if it weren't for cancer, Oscar Lindblom probably would have led the, the team in points for the season because he was when when he uh, went out with the diagnosis. Um, and they're obviously not the same player. Um, I think that the thing about Konechny is, yeah, he's he's certainly endeared himself to the fans. He is a nuisance, which everybody likes. Um, you like to have him on your team, and you'd hate to play against him. I think that, like, for all the people who have kind of gone out of their way since the Line A rumors came up and said, well... This isn't a guy that you really need. You have to kind of ask yourself, is Travis Konechny the guy that you want to lead the team in points? Mm. Like, is that the kind of player that you want to lead the team in points? Is the style of game that he plays the kind of guy that you want to lead the team in points? I like Travis Konechny a lot. We had him on the show. He's a really nice guy. When we go into the locker room, who's one of the first guys that we go and and have back and forth with and, and banter away from the cameras? Travis Konechny. Really good guy. I like him doesn't cloud my judgment. I don't think that he should be your leading point scorer. Um, honestly, well, I don't want to get into the, the trash the core thing, but like you have guys that are, you know, that add up to what, $24.5 million between your captain, Jake Voracek, and JVR. Those are guys who should be legitimately putting up somewhere close to maybe like the top or second most points on the team. Right. Even at their stage of their career, they're getting paid to do that. They're not doing that. I think that that's maybe where a little bit more of the focus should be. Um, I think that, yeah, Konechny could be a 30 goal scorer, but I think that the line that he plays on has to also be a little bit more consistent. And I think that like one of the things that came out of last year that I think is going to cloud people's judgment and I think might come back to haunt some people is. You know, Kevin Hayes had a really good season. Kevin Hayes was invaluable for that locker room. Kevin Hayes was a guy who that locker room desperately needed. They needed somebody to bring levity and to not make it the most miserable place, the most miserable hellhole on the planet Earth, which is what it was in 1819. Even after wins, it felt like you were walking into a morgue. So Kevin Hayes was really important, but I don't think that Kevin Hayes is this like legitimate 2C that it looked like he played as a year ago. When he was signed by the Flyers, I said at the time, like, he's a two and a half C. He's a guy that you want to sign to temporarily take the two C with the hope that Nolan Patrick would pass him. Or if you wanted to extrapolate and put that into this upcoming season, he's a guy that, like, you would want to be your two C. And maybe Morgan Frost puts on some more muscle and presses out of camp and makes the team. And at some point, Morgan Frost becomes your two C. And Kevin Hayes is there as a really good number three C or interchangeable between two and three C. Travis Konechny, I think, could be a 30-goal scorer. But I think he needs to be with probably Sean Couturier for it to happen. And I think he would need to play almost the entire season with Sean Couturier to make that happen. Because I'm not exactly convinced that the Flyers have another center that plays to Konechny's strengths in the same way that also is you know, stacked across the board in, in a way that puts him in advantageous positions. I do think he could be that guy. 
But I also don't want him to be the top the top scorer on the team. I don't think that's what he's getting paid to do, and I don't think that's his role. I think expecting that is kind of I don't know. It's like getting it's getting mad at somebody for not living up to a role they were never supposed to to play. You know, it's like getting mad at the lunch lady for not serving filet mignon. Like, it's great that she brought it that one time, but like, that's not what she's supposed to do. Like, she's got your Salisbury steak. She's got your country fried steak. Don't get mad at her for not having, you know, your expensive dry aged beef. That's not her thing. You're making me hungry over here, dude. I'm looking up Travis Konechny numbers because we're talking 30 goals for Travis Konechny. And without having the stats in front of me, he was never a big power play goal scorer, I don't believe. So it's like, is he going to score 30 even strength goals? I don't know. That just seems not. Well, I mean, he was on track. He had 24 goals this year in 66 games. So I think he was, I mean, he was very close to getting 30. Yeah. Um, And in terms of like the power play, he had five power play goals this year. So only five of his 24. That's what, a fifth? A fifth of his goals. I mean, that's, he's not a guy who necessarily needed, you know, to have a, a million power play opportunities. He wasn't like um, Braden Shen in his last season with the Flyers where he could only score on the power play, right? So I, I think it totally stands to reason. I mean, the kid scored 24 goals three straight seasons. Mm-hmm. He played all but one game in his first full or the no, second full season with the team. Played, he got 24 and 82 and what was it, 18, 19, and then had 24 and 66. Like, I, I think he was on track for it. Yeah, he would have, he would have beat his his career high in goals and you know he already had his most productive season in terms of points and assists, which was good to see. I'm not I'm not not a fan of TK. So like I know like the way I talk about him, it's like ah oh, Jim's a TK hater, but he's a travester or whatever. Like he's okay. Like uh, the live games that I went to this year, he was the the guy I enjoyed watching the most. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I think if you can put him in a trade for a guy like Line, I do it every day, every day of the week. Um, the Flyers didn't have trouble scoring, or maybe they did. I don't know. I can't remember now. But their biggest issue was the power play, right? Mm-hmm. And I would make the move. I would trade a guy that can score even strength for a guy that can, you know, put the puck in the net on the PK like Line. If you really want to fix the problem, there you go. You know, I don't know if that. This is all hypothetical because who knows if that's ever going to happen, but. Personally, I would trade connecting a heartbeat for it. I would put him in a trade for a guy like Line because it'll never happen one for one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, and like I said, it's because of the playoffs that I'm a little bit down on TK. But you know, if I if I'm looking at this roster, it goes into I don't I can't remember if I made the point on this show or not. If you're looking at the Flyers roster, they're a really good regular season team, I think. But if they get matched up with a team like the Islanders or the Lightning or even the the Habs again, I don't know. Are they going to be able to hold their weight? Like, is TK the guy that's going to be able to put the puck in the net against those guys? I don't know. I don't think so. And he didn't do anything to change my mind either. So I'm a little bit down on playoff TK, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think anyone on that team, with the exception of Carter Hart, was exceptional in the entirety of the playoffs. I mean, Borchak had a great first round. I think the Sanheim-Myers pairing was pretty good in the first round, and no one equivalently looked good in the second series against the Islanders. But uh, I think overall, you know, next year in the playoffs, 
hopefully that the first lines go, get going, you get your depth scoring going and you have the defense that moves the puck and Carter Hart is playing like Carter Hart again. I think it, it's a much different playoff series. I just, Montreal doesn't scare me the way they play. New York Islanders, I mean, they, they play a very structured game, but on paper, they're not a team as good as the Flyers. You know, if this team fires on all cylinders, if they live up to what they look like on paper, I think they're a very dangerous playoff team. But, you know, it's it's all hypotheticals for now. Russ, what do you think? I think that at this point, I don't know. <laughs> I just say it. I just like I I feel like at some point I'm just like emotionally tapped out, you know. Um, you don't want to get into this team. You're not excited for them. It's like I said at the very beginning, like this isn't the team that's going to start the year. So like the the idea of just like emotionally investing in whatever this team is going to be, this isn't like I just I don't think we're there yet. So it's it's like anytime somebody wants to talk about like what like where does this team stack up? Is yeah. there a reason for optimism? I'm just kind of like you know, I, I I guess like if the season started right now, would they be okay? Yeah. Would they be an elite team? No. Would they make it through the first round of the playoffs? I don't know. I guess. I mean, there are so many very like I, I don't know. I I always find it really hard off season and even in like the preseason to come up with like where is a team going to finish because think of all the variables that change over the course of a season. You've got injuries, you've got trade acquisitions that happen, you've got kids that you know get a call up and then end up flipping the script on its head. You get teams that are totally underwhelming. You, you get a massive injury to a couple top teams that throws everything sideways. You get a a team that should have been near the top that ends up as a you know, a lower seed in the playoffs that blows up the whole playoff bracket. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, I guess I'm not in the business of, of being a prognosticator, I guess. If that's, if that makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, just, uh, I mean, free agency is really slowed down now. The NHL is kind of just in a, the off season's in a lull. Now we're just kind of waiting to find out when we're going to be playing games and, uh, there's some interesting uh, remaining free agent names. So, Russ, you're a pretty plugged-in guy. So, there's some there's some names left. The Flyers have little cap space. Do you see them make any any more acquisitions through signings? I know Fletcher said they're still talking to agents. They're still talking to teams. Do, do you think there's anything that's close, or do you think this is a big wait and see? You know, we got expansion next year. We can't commit to anyone long-term kind of thing. See, I don't necessarily know if it's the the fear of expansion because that's that's running your team out of fear, which is something that I brought up with Fletcher before, specifically about like RFA deals because the the Myers and Nolan Patrick deals they come up. This is before Nolan signed the the qualifying offer, but he said like you can't run your team based out of fear. It just doesn't make sense to do that. Um, I don't see the team making a signing unless it's for well below market value. Like you said, they don't really have cap space. This this all comes back to like. My overarching theme right now, macro view, I think the team is like 85% of what it's going to be, right? I still think that they're going to make at least one hockey trade that's a one-for-one or two-for-two. And that might plug some holes, and then we'll see some internal options that that fill in. I think it would take a – I don't know. 
if there's a guy that really catches your eye at like a million dollars a year, 1.2 or something like that, and you can make a couple of contracts, you know, move a, move a few things around to try to accommodate it, then like maybe it makes sense. I just don't get the feeling that the Flyers are enamored with anybody who's out on the market at this point. So I think, you know, anybody who's hoping for a move via free agency, like I, I wouldn't say to hold your breath. And I think if they do end up getting somebody, it's going to be someone who's on a like a what's more or less a, a one year prove it deal. Right. Where it's flat cap year sucks. I didn't get what I wanted. I held out longer than I probably should have. My agent got in my ear and I never should have let it happen. And so like even um, what was it? The Taylor Hall signing. Right. They caught everybody off guard to go to Buffalo. Like I think it's a loser move. Because I don't think Buffalo is very good. And like, I think that if you're Taylor Hall and if your idea was, I want to pad my stats, well, you could have padded your stats and also had a shot at a Stanley Cup, right? Like, there weren't a million teams that had the cap space that would have been needed, but like Buffalo, really? So I think like if, if you're the Flyers, if you go out and, and you think that you can find somebody that you think is, you know, is worthwhile and a guy who wants to do some kind of a prove it deal, then cool. Um, I, I haven't been plugged in today. Anthony Duclair hasn't signed anywhere yet. Right. Right. Like I know that people think the flyers are really deep on the wings, which is true, but like Duclair had a good year a season ago. He's only 25. Like that's a name that I would like to see. I haven't gotten the feeling that the flyers have even like kicked the tires on Anthony Duclair. Do I think that like it would make sense? I do. Because I think that whatever kind of hockey trade you're going to end up making, you might have to part with a wing. So it doesn't, like, I, I don't see a reason that you wouldn't want to go out and get a guy like Duclair to come in and play like a middle six role for you. That's not a bad thing. And he's certainly not going to get paid, you know, $5 million for this year, right? Like, the longer this drags on, the worse it's going to drag for him. Because once some of these teams that, you know, need to get to the salary floor start to take on bad deals, I don't know where the money's going to come from for the remaining free agents. And I, unless the idea is to go like championship chasing for a season and take like a million dollar deal with like a, I don't know, name whatever top contending team you want. I don't know where he ends up, but like that's a guy that at least from my vantage point, I would like to see the Flyers kick the tires on. I don't think they're going to, but I think they should. So I think it's going to just be a wait and see. That's where I'm at, guys. I think it's going to be a wait and see. I Like I said, I think the Winnipeg thing is going to, if it's not line A, I know that there are a couple of other guys that the Flyers who kicked the tires on with Winnipeg. I know that they had had conversations with Winnipeg a season ago about a couple of other forwards on that team. You know, you want to see them get line A, but like they've they've done their due diligence on a few other players from the Jets. So I think that like ultimately a deal, I would say is like 60% gets done with Winnipeg, but it might not be for line A. It might be for someone else. Gotcha. Does uh, that name happen to rhyme with uh, Yak Yaslavic by any chance? No. Well, no. I heard he wants a fresh start from Winnipeg. He'd be, he'd be an interesting uh, name to take a look at. So what can I say? I know that the Flyers have at least um, what's the best way to put this without getting anybody in trouble? I think that what did you say? Yak what was his name? Yaslav. <laughs> Yak Slovak. Yeah. 
Um, I think that Yak is somebody that may have been bantered about. But is that really a guy that moves the needle for you? Mm-hmm. You know, is he a good player? Yeah. Is he young? Yeah. Could he theoretically help your team? Sure. But if if James over there is mad at Travis Konechny at 23-24, I don't know if Yak is really going to do do much to to help his mental health either. So, you know, good player as part of like a a two for two trade or a two for three or a three for three trade. I think you could maybe see Yak as we, you know, we put a little mustache on the actual guy. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe that is part of it. Um, but I, I think that's kind of where we're at. I think that w- Winnipeg and Philly make almost too much sense to to see a deal go down. They need a center. They need defense. Flyers have at least organizational depth at center, and they certainly have guys, you know, at they have defensemen that they could theoretically trade. I don't know. Does the deal get done? I think eventually. Yeah. Don't hold the gun to my head about it, though. I'm, it's not going to change my answer. Could you uh, imagine? I would, I would be very excited to see the uh, the tweet when Philadelphia makes a trade for Winnipeg and Patrick Laine is not in that right yeah. box. Yeah. The absolute <laughs> outrage that would, that would ensue. Well, <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I would love to be on Twitter all day that day. I could just see it now. I do wonder at some point if maybe the guy that they they end up kind of circling back to. Um, let's go with initials so we don't say the name. N-E. I was going to mention that, dude. Interesting. Because if you remember back to a season ago, like he was a guy that was being discussed in a ghost trade. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that Winnipeg would necessarily be motivated to trade him for a package that's centered around ghost. But like, again, there's another forward that the Flyers have at least had some form of interest or discussions about with Winnipeg. So again, like I, it just makes too much sense, which is why it it maybe it doesn't happen, but for, for my money, I think I, I will be shocked if the Flyers don't make a trade and I will be at least somewhat surprised if they don't make a trade with Winnipeg before the season starts. That's going to ruffle the feathers of a lot of people. I think that's an exciting prospect. Dude, I'm looking at playoffs here. Two goals in 25 playoff games. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What in the world has happened to you? The first first thing you said when you mentioned those initials was the playoff bubble struggles and the narrative around him finally getting his first goal in the playoffs. I knew that was coming at some point. I'm surprised it took so long. Not twenty, and, and as much as I bust TK's balls, I know he's only 23, 24. This kid's a little bigger, six foot. I don't know. I'm not saying it'd be a trade just for a trade. Uh, would it be a top line guy if they traded for Ellers? I don't know. Nah. Well, nah. Nah. Like that'd be cool and everything because it's a move, but who? Like somebody else would have to come back because I don't, he's not really a. And I hate even saying that he's not a need. Like we already have. Regular season T- TK. You what know? do you think the Flyers need? They need so my need for them is like Niskanen basically. Just I know he's he's not this like Niskanen's not out there growing on trees, so I don't expect him to yeah. be easy to replace. You know, so I know when I say they need a Niskanen, it's like well, there's not really that many guys out there. Like that retirement really screwed him over. You know, well, ideally it didn't... though. 
Yeah, sorry. Well, it, it, it didn't, it didn't. Here's the thing that bothers me about it. Chuck said that Niskanen called him while he was on the way back from the bubble, mm-hmm. right? So Chuck knew for at least a month, month and a half. I mean, it feels like an eternity ago since the Flyers played against the Islanders. Um, So he knew for that long that Matt Niskanen was considering retirement. You would think that if the team were prioritizing filling that that void, that they would have had a plan B in place, whether it was talks with a free agent or it was, you know, I, I guess going with with an internal organizational promotion. But this didn't catch the like when when you say that it it screwed them or it caught them off guard, it didn't catch them off guard. Did it screw them? Maybe a bit, but I'm surprised that the team hasn't already addressed the issue. Yeah. Like, so I don't necessarily think that it's like Niskanen screwed them because I don't think he did. Like, he gave them heads well, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like he gave he. I won't put this on the player. This isn't like a like a shock retirement where like he like faxed the team. You know, the day before free agency that he's out. I am shocked that the Flyers haven't made that a bigger priority. Um. And if I remember correctly, when I asked Fletcher specifically about it, because people were kind of focused in on like the role that Niskanen plays on the ice, which to me isn't necessarily as much of like the other intangibles that the that the young defensemen have cited about Niskanen throughout the season. I, you know, he said that your young guys eventually have to grow into roles where they're not the young guys anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe that is the calculus that they've done in an organization is that. They think Provorov is is ready to lead the pack, is ready to kind of take, you know, Myers along for the ride with them. They think that Gustafson and Sanheim can play together, and and Hagen Braun are going to be your third pair. Like maybe that's the thought. I find it hard to believe, and I don't necessarily think that it's a smart idea. But if that's what they end up going with, I mean, the Flyers have started with worse defensive groupings to start a year. Yeah, that's true. It, and I don't want to say that they did get worse. I mean, I don't want to make it a big thing that, oh, the Flyers took a step back, but Niskanen retiring and not really – I mean, they added Gustafson, but they got a little bit worse than they were this time last year, I think. And, yeah, I just – I thought they would have made a move too to at least somewhat replace Niskanen and – it either goes to show that there's not much out there, or like you said, they really are playing the waiting game, which I think is smart. That's fine. They got another uh, two months, a month and a half, whatever it is, till training camp and then the season starts up. So I guess as fans, it's like here we are waiting around, and hopefully they actually do something. Does this mean Eklund was wrong about the Flyers going after Chara? I'm just oh kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Did he, actu- did he actually say Char? Because I know he said somebody no, he tall. Said, I'm like, he said somebody tall. It was like the clear implication <laughs> was that the Flyers were going to sign Chara. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly what, what Philadelphia needs is to watch a Philly team go out and sign a past his prime, former, really good player for a Boston team. You know, Al Horford worked out well for the Sixers. I don't see why Zidane Chara wouldn't have worked out, you know, fantastically for the Flyers. So. Imagine, like just start saying yo i gotta say though as much as i crap on the idea chara as a flyer for a season i know how badass would that be i mean you'd get all of the uh the really confused casual fans that would turn on the game and be like yo is that chris pronger is he back out there again be like that's definitely not 
it, the thing that I would recommend to people, like when when games happen again, if you haven't been in an arena to see Zidane Chara play hockey, to just like watch a real life human giraffe <laughs> play on the ice, like you have to go see it. You have to experience it at ice level. Like get down there while they're doing the warmups. You just have to experience it because it's absolutely incredible to see. You know, you've got guys like buzzing all around the ice, but like Chara's just out there kind of like gliding gracefully like a gazelle or something. But he's so freaking big. It would be kind of fun, though. Imagine just imagine Provorov and Chara together just for a little bit. Right. It would be something to see. It would be cool to see. Yeah. Like, I think I made a comment on Twitter like, yeah, I'd be disappointed because that's who he's talking about in Chara. But it would also be cool to see Chara in a Flyers uniform. To, to be watching Char play for the Flyers. Like, I think I would hate it. Like, I really would, but I, I'd also love it at the same time, you know, just because it's Char. Yeah, I think as someone who's a big fan of Jim Jackson and not a big fan of uh, the guy over in Boston, is I would love to hear Jim's rendition of the 6'5 and he's a ballerina when he does something <laughs> crazy on the ice. Uh, yeah, Char would be fun. In terms of uh, what this team needs, back to that question... I think I would need Chuck Fletcher to sit about six feet away from me, two nice glasses of whiskey, and tell me, Joshua, Nolan Patrick will be on the ice next season. I, that That's what I need. I, I need him pouring me a nice glass of bullet rye and telling me, Patrick is going to be on the ice and he's going to be our 3C. Because otherwise, I'm not really comfortable with what we have going down the middle. Is there absinthe in that, uh, that whiskey? I just need to know. Because that's the difference between on the ice versus on ice like he was <laughs> for the past season. Uh, look, it it would be nice. I said last year, this time last year, actually just before the season, when people were saying like, oh man, it's going to be Nolan Patrick's year. And then the migraine disorder diagnosis came in. I said, the kid won't, he will not play this year. And I was told I was like a hater and I was like this insane human being. And how could you... How could you derail a young man's career like I had any impact on it? And I was like, he's not going to play. Migraines are a serious thing, and they don't know the cause, right? Like, that was the thing. And honestly, they still don't know. That has been the the word out of the Flyers camp. That is, like, their official statement is, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he had concussions. The concussions related to the migraines. I don't know. That's at least what they're saying in public. I don't know if I believe them, but that's what they're saying in public. It would be nice to get him. And despite the fact that, like, he is – his general affect when he is in front of the media is atrocious. He's a guy that the guys in the locker room like. So, you know, you don't have to be the most bubbly, uh, outgoing extrovert to be a good hockey player. The guys in the locker room, I'm sure, would get a boost if he came back and he played. I cannot imagine a scenario where he does to start the year. And I think it's pretty telling that when Chuck Fletcher is asked about it, he says, well, we expect Nolan to play at some point. He never says at the start of the season. He never says we expect him to come into camp and to compete for a spot. It's always, well, we expect him to play at some point. I mean, what else is the guy going to say? This even goes back to last year when people would like get excited every time. I was like, oh, my God, Nolan Patrick's going to play. I specifically remember a press conference where Chuck Fletcher came out and said, you know, Nolan Patrick's made progress and we think that he's going to play at some point. 
And people are like, oh, my God, he's coming back. Can you believe this? The 3C, <laughs> the prodigal son is coming back. And it's like, no, that's not what this is. You know, as a GM, like what's what's Chuck Fletcher supposed to say on the flip side of that is if he's a realist, does he go out and say, hey, listen, kid's got a migraine disorder. I don't know. He might never play again. Imagine how that plays. And if just on the off chance that there's a team that's interested in him as like part of a package for like a player that plays hockey and doesn't have a migraine disorder. I mean, you've effectively cratered any value the guy has, right? If you go out and admit something like that. So every time somebody gets excited, I'm like, I don't want to crap on it. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. This, after all, is the bright side. The bright side to this is I can't imagine he misses an entire season again. I think that there will be an effort to get him on the ice. My problem is, and like mark the timestamp and come back to me if, if uh, you know this blows up in my face, I think there's a decent enough chance that he plays at some point in the first 20 games of the season. But I think the problem is going to be you're going to have Nolan Patrick on this roster, but you're not going to be able to rely on him game in and game out by virtue of what the disorder is. And until they figure out what the actual genesis of the migraine disorder is, I don't know how you design a treatment plan that gets this kid back to like a normal functioning life and then a normal functioning life that also includes playing hockey at a professional level. I could just see this becoming kind of like the remember when Peter Forsberg played for the Flyers and it was like, all right, he's in he's in for a game and then he misses one or two because he, he has that boot issue again. Remember when that was always the thing? It was just like never ending saga of Peter Forsberg can't get his skates right. Mm hmm. I feel like that's going to end up being what this season's going to be for Nolan Patrick. He'll play, like he'll be available sometimes, and people are going to get really mad because in a a game that maybe has seeding implications, he's not going to play. And I I worry about the negativity. Like I think fans have been really patient with him as they should be, but I do think there's like a chance that this gets ugly really quickly if he plays, and then like in an important game he's not playing, and you have enough, you know. What's a nice you have enough mouth breathers on Twitter who say, oh, he just has headaches. Just give him Tylenol like that's a legitimate thing. So if those people exist and we have to assume that there are more of them than just on Twitter, then uh, it probably stands to reason that people are going to get kind of nasty to the kid if he does come back and then can't play consistently. So, yeah, you're right. Getting Nolan Patrick back would be really nice. Getting back Nolan Patrick, the former number two overall pick, would be great. It's also worth noting that Nolan Patrick, despite the fact that he played at such a young age to start his career in the NHL, is not a game-changing talent and ha and was not a game-changing talent when he was playing consistently at the NHL level. Again, he's young, and so if you want to go back and, and kind of beat that drum, that's fine. But he was not a difference-making player when he was healthy, quote-unquote. I can't imagine that even if he comes back this year that he's going to be a game-breaking talent, you know, fitting or or earning that number two overall pick status, if that makes sense. I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah, exactly what you said at the tail end there is kind of what I said on HW, I think it was yesterday, about, you know, the Philly fan base and Nolan Patrick, because if this drags on, People are going to start turning on him if he comes back. And like you said, it's a migraine thing. Like you don't know when this is going to come back. And let's say that scenario does play out. Like you, like we know how Philly is, right? Like we're 
for the most part, like like you call them mouth breathers, and I love that uh, word there, but people are going to turn on him quick. You know, you're going to start seeing names flying around, and it's like, you know what? It would, it might be better off for this kid if he just played somewhere else. And like you said, with the whole Chuck Fletcher thing, you can't say that you're not sure what's causing the, the migraines or you don't know when he's going to come back. You have to say you, exp- you expect him to play sometime. I don't know if you can still add him in a trade like that or whatnot, but I've said many times I, I don't think Nolan Patrick, and I know this is the bright side, and this is not very bright, but I, I don't see him ever playing for the Flyers again. I just don't see it. There's too many too many factors that kind of make me think he's done here, you know? Would I love to see it? Absolutely, but I just don't. I just don't see it. I thought that at the end of the regular season, like the the real regular season, not the not the return to play, mm-hmm. I would have agreed with you. I think that what they've probably found on the trade market is that he doesn't really have much value. And so at this point, it's almost like a like a reclamation project. And it's either trying to build up some kind of value for a, an in-season trade or hoping that he comes back to some sort of a quasi-valuable player. I I would have agreed with you that he he was done he had already played his last game. I'm not totally sold on it right now because I don't think there's much of a market for him until he can prove that he's healthy. Yeah, it sucks. So, you know, if if you want to talk about it came up before, but like the idea of holding on to an asset until it depreciates in value to a point where it's almost like a a waste to move on from them. I mean, Gotta hang on you, to it. you you know, at that point I think there there ends up being a, a high enough potential. Like if his camp and the doctors from the Flyers talk and they think that this kid can come back and they want to roll the dice on it, then I think you, you kind of have to see what you have because it'll look really bad if he's the third piece of a trade for a somewhat difference maker and then next year comes back, they get – a real diagnosis and all of a sudden he's that number two overall pick. And then you look like an idiot because he wasn't the focal point of a trade. He was just like some throw in Mm -hmm. because you, because uh, another team wanted to take the gamble. So I, I almost worry, you know, Chuck Fletcher is not a guy who in theory, you know, does his job out of a position of fear. I do wonder if in doing the the calculus on the situation, if he said, you know what, like if there's one guy I don't want to get burned on, it's Nolan Patrick. That said, he's not the guy who took him. The guy who took him, the guy who overrode his scouts is no longer here. And so. I put that out on Twitter the other day and I was catching shit for that for some reason. Somebody told me I was whining about Hextall. I'm like, how am I whining about Hextall? It's just facts. That he overrode his scouts and took Patrick. Yep. Like well, that, he he messed up there. That was a mistake. He definitely had people in the war room that told him that is not the pick. And Hextall did the math and said, we have enough depth at defense that we don't need to take a guy there. And I think he also knew that the organization was kind of breathing down his neck because of the lack of revenue the lack of interest in the team and thought, well, I can get this kid and maybe we can get him to the NHL level. We'll get some Jersey soul, get some people in the seats. It's not going to, you know, dramatically change 
the plan. It's not going to turn this team into an overnight success, but it will get interest in the team. He made that pick and was told by multiple people in that room that it was not the right pick. And you can see the way that the board played out after there have been plenty of players that were taken, you know, almost immediately after Nolan Patrick that were better. And by the way, the people who like go after you for that assertion and like to point out that Nolan Patrick was the number one overall pick going into it. There's a difference between draft evaluators who work for TV networks or for papers and the people who actually do the scouting. Mm -hmm. If that weren't the case, if I were wrong about this, then the guys who are prognosticating on TV would be working for a team. They wouldn't be sitting behind a desk on TV. Cool. So I hope you guys giving me shit or listening to this episode. So you could stop giving me shit now. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're a little over 90 minutes here. So I'm going to end this conversation by Nolan Patrick is going to play all 82 games, point per game player, potential hard trophy nominee. Cause that's uh, what we do here. Listen, we're let's, nice. let's wager a bottle of, uh, a bottle of the, uh, the whiskey on that one. Cause, uh, I will gladly take <laughs> the other side of that. It's gotta be all 82. Heck yeah, man. I don't even know if they're going to play 82 games next season. I'm <laughs> totally here for it. I'll play that semantic battle. Yeah, the beauty of the bright side is we don't really care about the facts or the knowledge behind it. We're just naively positive. So that's yeah. what we're. Gonna, yeah, and if we're wagering a small, like a small batch bottle of whiskey, I'm down with it. I think I could spare that. Bless up. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Any closing thoughts before we end up this uh, this uh, special version of the negatives? I mean, the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything, Russ. Thanks for hanging out with us, dude. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you, man. It was nice talking to you. It's amazing that on a show that had two-thirds bright and joy, we somehow (laughs) were weighed down by this other guy with his negativity. A real Travisist, if you will. (laughs) Sorry about that. I Uh, only speak truth. uh, Where can we find you on social media? Sorry to interrupt you, Jim. All good. You know, hit me up over on Twitter, at JoyOnBroad. You can follow the show, at SnowTheGoalie, and... Follow, I guess, the stuff that we write over on crossing bo- on uh, crossingbroad.com. Uh, sometimes it's flyer stuff, sometimes it's other stuff. So uh, any support is greatly appreciated, and we love the people. Love the people, you know. So it's Jim, all about. Jim, where can we yell at you at social media on? Jim Mike HW, yell at me. I love it. It's it's fun to get into. Uh, I like discussing topics with people, and I like to, I like different opinions. It's fun. Should make that your Twitter bio. I like discussing topics with people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the I, real mass appeal that everybody needs on social media. Yeah, you know who always kind of, and I don't mean to make this a whole, well, I'll save it for after the show. There you go. Go ahead, wrap it up. <laughs> this is the NS, NSFW stuff. Uh, well, for James, for Russ, for Josh, thank you guys so much for joining in another episode of The Bright Side, and we'll see you in a few weeks.